Well, for one last time, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Acts tonight. The book of Acts, and we'll be in chapter 28. Acts chapter number 28 tonight. I lied to you. I had said several weeks ago that we were 30, 40 something messages in. I was wrong. We are thir- this is number 37 in our series in the book of Acts. And we will finish on this note. And I hope that the, the study of the Word of God has been a help to you. We'll take a couple weeks uh, doing some miscellaneous preaching, two or three weeks, and then we will begin our study through the book of 1 Corinthians, the wisdom of Christ is what I've titled that. And I'm looking forward to that. I'd encourage you to read through this, that book. It probably wouldn't take you more than one or two mornings to read through 1 Corinthians and prepare your heart for uh, the study that we'll do together. Uh, but we're gonna begin in Acts 28. So let's read this passage together tonight. Verse number 17. And it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. When they were come together, he said to them, men and brethren, though I've committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Rome, from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, We neither receive letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came and showed or spake any harm of thee, but we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him in his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. And some believe the things which are spoken, and some believe not. And then when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word. And then he quotes Paul, who quotes Isaiah. Well, spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah, the prophet unto our father, saying, go unto this people and say, hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known, therefore, unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, 
preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know about you. Maybe you weren't engaged or didn't think about it this way. But the ending of Acts, Acts kind of seems to leave you hanging. It feels incomplete, I'll be honest. Because Luke, I mean, it almost feels like Luke like, turned in his manuscript to the publisher and forgot to staple the last page to the back. Because this whole story is about Paul going to have trial before Caesar. The whole last, I don't know, 10 chapters has been about that. And he ends the whole thing without talking about Caesar or the trial. He doesn't record the trial. And, and, and he even specifically said earlier on in some of the chapters earlier that the spirit had prophesied that Paul would stand before trial at Caesar. And then what's interesting too is, is Peter, you know, you remember him? Like, Many months ago when we were in a couple chapters earlier in Acts and chapter 15, that was the last time he showed up. Here's Peter and Paul, the two dominant figures of the church in the first couple decades of ministry. And Luke doesn't record what happened to either of them. We don't know what happened. You have to read history to know what happened. But while it may seem strange, none of it really is strange if you remember that in the book of Acts, the, store, the heroes of the story are not Peter and Paul. The hero of the story in the book of Acts is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The main character is not these apostles. The main character is the Spirit of God, the Son of God, and the Father. Now, I want you to think about this. Could it be that Luke writes this open-ended ending because Luke knew and Luke believed that the work of the gospel would have no ending. Is it possible that he didn't finish Paul's story because he wanted us as Christians to step up and finish Paul's story with their own lives? He didn't write in Acts 29 because he wants you to write Acts 29. Truthfully, Acts 28 isn't really the end of the story. I think in Luke's mind, chapter 28 is just the beginning. And I think tonight that God, through his word, in this last section of the book of Acts, is asking the members of Fellowship Baptist Church in Garden City this question. Are you willing to continue the story that Jesus and his apostles started? I've spent 28 chapters trying to show you the unstoppable power of the gospel, how these ordinary people, empowered by the Spirit of God, were indeed witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. But the question now is facing you, church member, Christian. Are you going to pick up where Paul left off? Are you going to keep pressing the gospel further into the reaches and the corners of the world. And here's the reality tonight. If, if you desire to do that, which I hope you do, I wouldn't know why you'd be a member of a church if you didn't desire that. But if you desire to take this gospel further, the question is, how on earth do we do that? 
Now, we spent a lot of weeks talking about that here, there, and everywhere. But I think Acts 28 is intentionally written as a summary of Paul's missionary strategy, Peter's missionary strategy, and the strategy you and I need to employ if we're going to continue the work of the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. I think we see four things in this passage, and I'm gonna give you all four of them up front and work through them. Paul's gonna show us that if we wanna continue the gospel work, we need to make the most of every opportunity. We need to share the gospel of Jesus from all the scriptures. We need to look for those who will listen, and we need to remain confident in the gospel's power. I want you to see this in verse 16 through 22. Paul's example shows us that if we're gonna continue this, we need to make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, I don't know if you noticed this at the beginning of chapter 28, but what should strike us about this is that Paul, even though he's imprisoned, is still sharing the gospel. Now, you and I know what the operative verb in the Great Commission is, right? Go. Go. By the way, you're probably not doing it if you're not going, for the most part. Go to a new town. Go to a new person. Go to a new race. That's what's been happening in the book of Acts. Go to a new location. Even in the same town, right? Paul in Athens, he went to this location, this location, this location, because he wanted to hit all sorts of different types of people. But now, in Acts 28, Paul can't go. He's chained up. He's got a cozy house, at least. He's not in a jail cell, but he can't go. But yet, even though Paul can't go, he doesn't make excuses of why he can't share the gospel. Paul's not someone who's waiting it out to see if he gets released, and then maybe he can go some more. Pastor, don't you know I've been locked up in prison? I can't share the gospel. That's not Paul's mentality. Paul's mentality was to make the most of every opportunity. I think the truth is this, church family. You and I have a choice. You have a choice of whether you will view your limitations as excuses or opportunities. And we all have limitations, don't we? And Paul did too. Paul's locked down in a house. He can't go to a new town. He can't go to anybody. He's staying, quite literally, the opposite of going. But when Paul couldn't go, he invites people to come to him. In verse 17, talks about he puts together, he, he invites the local synagogue leaders. Christians are not Christians. Not Christians. These are synagogue leaders. These are the leading Jews in the city. And he brings them into his house. And the first couple verses we read in 17 um, through 20 is basically Paul telling them this. Listen, you're going to hear some rumors about me. You're going to hear that I hate Jews. You're going to hear that I hate the temple. You're going to hear that I'm not for you. But listen, you and I are on the same side. He tells these lost people who are Jews, we're on the same side. The Romans are the bad people. We're God's people. And he says, I'm not, I'm not here because I'm here to have a, 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 some sort of tiff with you. I'm here because I am bound. Look at verse number 
I think it's verse number 20. For the hope of Israel, that's a a term for the Messiah and the prophets. He says, I'm bound, I'm in prison because of the hope of Israel. He brings them into his house. And then verse 23, what was originally kind of a political get-together, Paul turns it into a home Bible study. By the way, church family, have you ever thought of your house as a tool to use for the spread of the gospel? Have you ever thought of how God could use your dwelling place, your residence as a tool for the gospel? Hey, we're blessed in Southwest Kansas. Most of us live in an actual house, not some crummy apartment in the middle of a large city. We have a house. Somebody praise God for that. We got land. We got, we got a living room. And if you don't, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's something God can use for the gospel. And here, Paul invites these people to come and he and they actually express their interest in learning about Jesus and here Paul is and even when he's confined he's inviting people to his dwelling place and he's sharing the gospel with them we know Paul shares the gospel by writing letters and doing ministry by using letters Paul also if we read Philippians he's chained to a Roman soldier but Paul didn't view that as a limitation As an excuse, he viewed that as an opportunity because in Philippians he says, because I'm chained to these people 24-7, the whole palace knows about Jesus now. Paul didn't have the ideal setup in Rome, did he? He didn't have all the resources that you would have wanted as a missionary. But yet he took what God gave him and found a way to use it for the gospel. Church family, you have a choice. I have a choice of whether you'll look at your own limitations and view them as excuses or opportunities. And I'll tell you what, when it comes to sharing the gospel, as Christians, we have thousands of excuses, don't we? Here's some of the ones I've heard or said. I'm old. So I don't know a lot of unsaved people anymore, just my Christian family. I'm not really the talkative type. I just help behind the scenes. My workplace doesn't allow me to share the gospel. I'm a stay-at-home parent, so I can't share the gospel. I don't have a lot of training to share the gospel. Pastor, don't you know people these days don't talk about religion? I want you to think with me. Think with me. You might even write this down. What if you believed in your heart that there was never a good enough excuse to not share the gospel? What if you started tomorrow morning with the mindset that there will never be a good enough excuse? That there will never be a limitation that keeps you from living and sharing the gospel? You know why I know you can believe that and why I know you can live with that mentality and why I can live with that mentality? Because God himself has that mentality. There is no excuse. In every stage, in every adversity, in every situation, you have the opportunity to share the gospel. There is no limitation that is a genuine excuse. I visited just a couple days ago with Dr. Zagaro's wife. She's a shut-in. Um, some of you probably haven't met her like I hadn't met her, Miss Elisa Zagara. And she shared with me the, the very same thing I'm talking about right now. 
She can't get out of the house. She hardly gets out of the house. The only time she gets to get out of the house is for doctor stuff, which happens way too much. She's had 33 operations in the last several years. She has full-time medical care. Luckily for her, it's her husband. But she shared with me something that reminded me of this. She said, I can't share the gospel as much as I used to. And by the way, she used to. The whole entire reason Dr. Zagar is a Christian is because Elisa shared the gospel with him. But she said, you know what? When I'm with a doctor, when I'm with my surgeons, we pray, we talk about the gospel. I've seen Miss Gladys in the hospital give people her penny track. Friend, can we just be honest? We don't have an excuse. And I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just saying sometimes we need a good pep talk and a kick in the pants. Can I just be frank with you? To stop making excuses, stop saying that we have these limitations that keep us from sharing the gospel and start recognizing that there is almost no conceivable reason that you can be excused from sharing the gospel with somebody. I wanna ask you tonight, what opportunities for gospel ministry are in your reach but not on your mind? Maybe you haven't thought of certain things in your life as gospel opportunities, but they are. I talked about your house. What if you used your house as a gospel outpost to minister to hurting people? People like we talked about this morning who need companionship, and you were that companion. Who needed friends, and you were that friend. And you brought them around your table, and you ministered to their hurts, and you cared about them, and you met that need, but then you shared Jesus who could meet their greatest need. What if you looked at the car that sits in your driveway and said, this is a vehicle that will take me more than just to the bank, but will take me to some place that has lost people where I can share the gospel? What opportunities stand next to you at work every single day? People who don't know Jesus. And the only thing stopping them from hearing the gospel is you. What opportunities, parents and grandparents, run around the carpet of your home and your children and grandchildren? I said this before and I'll say it again. If we don't share the gospel in our own homes, we have made the biggest mistake. If we share the gospel with everybody, but we don't preach it to our kids and our grandkids, we have missed something tragic. What opportunities are in your reach, but not on your mind? Church family, can we agree? We can make more of the opportunities God has given us. If God has given you breath, if God has given you legs, if God has given you a voice, use it, use it. Use it for the spread of the gospel because that's how we'll continue the story of the book of Acts. Here's the second thing Paul shows us. He teaches us to share Christ from all of the scriptures. See, you can make the most of every opportunity, but the reality is, is how do you tell somebody about the gospel? Well, Paul teaches us how in verse number 23. Look at it. I think we can learn a lot of things just from verse 23 alone. It says, and when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, you know, some of us were so focused on inviting people to church, we don't talk about the gospel outside of church. 
But he invites them into his lodging to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God. And as we talked about in Sunday school, he was able, he believed that the kingdom of God, the message of Christ could be shared from all of scripture, the law and the prophets, Moses and the prophets, right? And you know what that teaches us? That teaches us that if we can preach Jesus from any of the scriptures, then we best just start somewhere. Just start somewhere. You're not lacking from material to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You get into a conversation about creation with your coworker, head straight to the gospel. You get into a conversation about Jesus, head straight into the gospel. You get in a conversation about sin, get into the gospel. It doesn't matter where you go, friend. The gospel's on every page. Just start somewhere. But I love what it says about Paul's presentation. And I think Paul teaches us that if we're gonna share the the gospel, our presentation needs to have some passion. Look at verse 23. It says he persuaded them concerning Jesus. He persuaded them. Persuaded them. I, I think there's some of us that were like, well, you know, they said they attend another church. Well, you know, they said they're not interested. And I don't know, maybe I'm missing something, maybe I'm overboard, but I think Paul knew something that we sometimes forget. That he he knew that when the gospel is shared, heaven and hell are at stake. I think we forget that. I think we forget that there are people that you see and you see their smile, but you forget the terror of God's judgment that might be upon them. And so God forbid we have some passion or that we don't take no for an answer. Hey friend, I wanna encourage you, have some passion. Have some conviction. Be willing to share even when you're not quite sure they're listening. I was talking to a friend in, in town that I'm trying to get to come to our church. He's, he's in the banking um, industry. And I remember him telling me in our conversation at lunch, he said, I just hate losing loans to other banks. I don't know if you feel like that, Mark. He says, I hate losing. We want to get all the loans that we think are good loans. You know what convicted me at that moment? Here's a man that's just selling a loan. And he cares more about whether someone walks away from the table than some of us do when it comes to the gospel. Friend, if they say, no, I'm not interested, here's what passion might say. Hey, can you tell me why you're not interested? Press a little further. Share a little bit more. Circle back and talk to them again. Have some passion. Have some passion. My my pastor said this in liberal um, several times. Bill Prater, he's coming to preach in September. He said, if you can't pick the fruit, don't bruise it. I've said that before, maybe. It's a great saying that there is a place for us not to press too quick. But friends, sometimes I think we're so afraid to bruise the fruit that we never pick it. We never pick it. We're afraid to cause bruises so we just don't touch the fruit and pick it. What I love about Paul's example, verse 23, is that he shows us that sometimes people need a little bit of time before they get the gospel. Look at verse, the end of verse 23. He taught them from morning until evening. 
Don't be sending me memes about my long sermons anymore, y'all. Morning until evening. You know who you are, Miss Colleen. She sent me a meme in my introduction in my sermon today. It was about Apple and Android. It was relevant. <laughs> Paul taught them from morning to evening. Can I just remind you, I think sometimes we've been programmed incorrectly. We think that sharing the gospel is giving someone a piece of paper this big. Frank, can I just help you? In a post-Christian society, people need more than this to understand the gospel. And I think that's why we don't share it because we think in our gospel conversations, we gotta get to the selling point. We gotta get to the decision point. You don't. Take your time. Set up a Bible study. Hey, would you be interested in studying the Bible together? You know what, people, are, people say yes to that more than you think. I've been surprised in my life. I'm like terrified to ask them. I just had a conversation this week. Hey, would you be interested in doing a Bible study at our house? Yeah, actually I would. Oh, oh, okay. Well, uh, let me get back with you about that time. Y'all take your time, but keep moving. Keep sharing the gospel. It takes time. It takes time. I don't, I don't know if there's very many people in this room who got saved the first time they heard the gospel. So I'm gonna guess that the people you're sharing the gospel with probably won't either. Take your time. If it's morning till evening, if it's January to December, if it's a three-year track, take your time, but share the gospel nonetheless. Now, here's what I think most of us struggle with. It's not how we share the gospel that we're unsure about necessarily. It's who. It's who. And I think the dominant thought in this section of Acts is about the who. Who do we share the gospel with? And here's what Paul teaches us. Look for those who will listen. This will help you. Please write it down. Look for those who will listen. There's a dominant theme here in this section that Paul is giving the gospel to people who want to listen. That's his strategy. I've had people ask me different like services that are trying to sell their, their software or whatever to our church. What's the target demographic you're trying to reach at your church? Which I always think is a dumb question. Target demographic. You want to know how Paul would answer that? My target demographic is people who will listen. But then he also says in this passage, I'm going to preach the, the gospel to people who won't listen sometimes too. Look at the emphasis on this. Look at verse number 30. It says in chapter 28, verse number 30, it says that Paul, in this two-year span, he received all that came to him. All that came to him. There's two things there. They were coming to him, so they were interested. And if they were interested, he was interested. Anybody, anybody, anybody who'd come in, he was gonna receive them and talk to them about the gospel. Verse number 22, the whole thing starts off when he calls these Jewish leaders into his home and he says, listen, we're on the same side, right? The, the Romans are bad guys, not you guys, not me. The Romans are. And they said, you know what? We actually, we wanna hear what you have to say about this. We've heard a lot of bad things about Christianity, but we're kind of interested in what you want to say about it. So they were interested. They wanted to hear. And Paul receives them into his house and he's sharing the gospel with them. Verse 24 says that there was kind of a mixed response. Look down at your Bibles. Look at verse 24. It says, and some believed the things which were spoken and some believed not. 
So there's this mixed response now. I think the dogs are going crazy. I was like, what is going on? They're, that yard with the dogs is distracting me. I'm sorry. Look for those who will listen, all right? So there, there, there's a mixed response. And then Luke spends most of his ink in this chapter detailing this, this reaction of the people who are rejecting Paul. Look at verse 25. It says, and when they agreed not among themselves, they departed, basically because Paul said one thing. And here's what Paul said. He quotes Isaiah in verses 25 through 27. It's a long quotation from the book of Isaiah. And here's the summary of it. Paul is basically saying this. He's saying, God sometimes sends messengers to hard-hearted people to give them a chance to repent, but also to confirm their hard-heartedness and their worthiness of judgment. That's what Isaiah was saying. Isaiah was sent to people who wouldn't hear. God told him that in Isaiah 6. You remember Isaiah 6, right? It's his commissioning. And God says to Isaiah, I'm going to send you to people who don't want to listen. And here's why. Because in seeing, they will not see. That lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted. Basically, here's what verse uh, 26 is saying. They've already made up their mind. They don't want to see. They don't want to hear. They don't want to understand. But I'm going to send you to preach to them so that I, because I love them, because I want to give them another shot. And because when the day of judgment comes and they stand before me, I've not just given them one opportunity to repent. I've given them another and another and another, and they will have no excuse. Friend, I don't know about you, but when I read the words of Isaiah, I'm praying in my heart, God, help me to be a listener. Help me to be a listener. I want God's words when they're read back to me on the day of judgment not to be a means of condemnation because I never listened. You know what Paul's saying to these Jewish people? He's saying it's possible for you to hear all the word of God you could possibly imagine and not hear a word. In hearing, you're not really hearing. Your eyes are open, but you don't really see. And he says, and that's why, verse 28, he says to these Jews, as he senses their opposition to the gospel, he says, that's why the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and they will hear it. He's not saying that God is done with the Jewish people. He's, in fact, the letter to the Romans, he says, no, God has... I would, I would wish that I could be accursed from Christ for the salvation of Israel. So he's not making a definitive statement that God's just totally done with the nation of Israel or, or Jewish ethnic people. He's saying this, if you want to hear the word of God, come on. But I'm not going to waste my time on people who won't listen. I'm going where they're listening. That's what Paul says. Now, how does that help you and me? Paul is reminding us, number one, that there are times for at least a season, God intends for us to share the gospel with somebody he knows will reject it. Listen, if someone turns down the gospel you present, 
Join the club. And just mark it up this way, that it's not your faulty presentation. It's not that you jumped the gun. It's not that you're not good at reading the time. I don't think there's hardly a bad time to share the gospel. Here's what we ought to chalk it up to when somebody's not ready for the gospel. They don't want to hear it. Hey, God loves them enough to send me to preach to them today. God loved them enough for me to share even though he knew they'd reject it. Because they may have heard it once or they may have heard it a thousand times. But God loves them enough to give them at least one or two more chances. But I know for some of us in this room, I think what, where a lot of Christians struggle with sharing the gospel is they've got one or two people that they're really comfortable with, that they want to invite to church, they want to share the gospel with, and they try that avenue, and it doesn't really work out. And so they're like, well, I, I tapped out all my resources, Pastor Mike. That's all, that's all the lost people I really talk to. I don't have any more numbers in my phone list that are lost people. And here's what I think Paul is, is, is telling us. If the people you've shared the gospel with aren't listening, find some who will. I'm gonna say it again. If the people you're sharing the gospel with aren't listening, then go find some more who will. Just go find some more. There's a whole lot of fish to be caught. The fields are white unto harvest. Friend, if that coworker you've invited church five times isn't coming and they're not interested in the gospel, go make a new friend. Go hang out in a different social circle. Go walk across the office. Go join a new club. Go knock on a new neighbor's door. Because there are more people who need the gospel and you'll never know if they'll listen if you never talk to them about it. You don't know who's gonna listen to the gospel unless you share the gospel, right? And if we share the gospel with people who don't wanna hear it, then we just move on to those who will listen. If you're gonna do this, friend, it means you're gonna have to step out of your comfort zone. You're gonna have to step out of your comfort zone. And I recognize that there are different levels of ability and potential to do that. But I think we all ought to recognize and live under the weight of the command that is given to us, go and preach the gospel in all nations. Introverts and extroverts alike, you are given that command. So I'm not saying you gotta be Mr. Social Butterfly, but I am saying that it might, it might be this way, that you may have, one or two people that you've invested in, it's like they're not, they don't care, nothing. Then maybe you need to go and talk to the person that you thought was arrogant, but really if you talk to them, you find out they're actually just broken. You go share with the guy who's poor and beat down and maybe his skin is a different color than yours, but you find out that he's hungry for the riches of Christ. Here's the truth. The gospel only move farther when Christians start building their lives around getting the gospel to people who are ready to listen. Look for those who listen. Can I say it in a Southwest Kansas way? If you aren't getting any bites, try fishing in a different part of the lake. Just go somewhere else. Talk to a different person because there are a whole lot of people in this world and there are probably more who are ready to listen 
if somebody will talk to them. But I think here's the biggest obstacle. If we're going to continue the story of the book of Acts, all of us feel hopelessly incapable of sharing the gospel. Can I get a witness? If I got a bus out there tonight and said, let's go share the gospel, I am quite sure we'd find a way not to do it. I ain't doing that, Pastor. Because we feel incapable. That's, that's the reality. I feel the same way, by the way. I don't know if this is shell. I'm very insecure and feel very incapable of sharing the gospel. Which is why the last verse of Acts is so key. Because we find that our confidence is not in our capability. Our confidence is in the unstoppable power of the gospel. That's our fourth and final reminder. Remain confident in the unstoppable power of the gospel. In the original language Paul wrote in, the very last word is translated in this phrase, no man forbidding him. We, we could translate it this way, unhindered. That's how Luke ended his story, unhindered. Now that's kind of ironic, isn't it? Because here's a guy who's literally chained to a Roman soldier. It sounds kind of hindered to me. But he says, here's what Luke is saying. That the hindrances and the limitations and the problems that we think chain us down don't. That in reality, the gospel is unhindered. It's unstoppable. And hasn't that been the story of the book of Acts? I said, hasn't that been the story of the book of Acts? The story of the book of Acts is that nothing can hinder the work of the gospel. I'm going to read a few just to summarize how many things don't hinder the gospel. And as I read these, I hope it'll encourage you that not only do you not have an excuse, this gospel is so powerful, nothing can stop it. We saw in chapter number one of Acts, that losing a leader to sin can't stop the gospel. We saw in chapter three with the poor beggar that a lack of money to help the poor couldn't hinder the spread of the gospel. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. We saw that opposition from religious leaders couldn't stop the spread of the gospel. Fear tactics couldn't stop people from preaching the gospel. Exposed hypocrisy in the church as Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead couldn't stop the church from spreading the gospel. Being locked in prison couldn't stop people from spreading the gospel. In fact, an angel broke them out a couple times. And then when an angel stopped doing it, an earthquake did it. Church disunity couldn't stop the gospel. Murdered innocent Christians couldn't stop the gospel. In fact, chapter eight records that it did not, not only didn't stop the gospel, the Christians ran away and took the gospel even farther because of it. Long-standing racial boundaries couldn't stop the gospel. Hatred of Christians by Saul couldn't stop Saul from accepting the gospel. 
A murder plot on Paul couldn't stop the spread of the gospel. Being outside of Israel and being a Gentile couldn't stop the spread of the gospel. Having stones thrown at Paul until he nearly died couldn't stop the spread of the gospel. The severing of gospel partnerships between Paul and Silas or between Paul and Barnabas couldn't stop the spread of the gospel. In fact, it only multiplied it because instead of one missionary team, there was now two. Entering into foreign regions didn't affect the gospel spread. In fact, as we read in the last couple chapters, it only made it spread faster. Being chased out of town didn't spread the gospel because that just made sure that they went into a new town that received the gospel even better. Discouragement during hard times didn't stop the spread of the gospel. Demonic oppression was no match for the spread of the gospel. A citywide riot was not even going to stop the spread of the gospel. Leadership transitions as Paul transferred the leadership of the church to new pastors couldn't stop the spread of the gospel. Friends who misunderstood God's will couldn't stop Paul from spreading the gospel. Unfair trials and false accusations didn't stop the gospel. Being lost at sea, shipwrecked, and on a God-forsaken island couldn't stop the gospel. In fact, it got the gospel to an island people who were more receptive than the Jews Paul had been preaching to for weeks. And even being under house arrest couldn't stop the spread of the gospel. Friend, there are a thousand things that could concern you about continuing the story of the book of Acts that would make us think that maybe the gospel's in jeopardy. As we look at our culture, as we look at our church, as we look at ourselves, We wonder how it's going to go somewhere. But Luke's account gives us confidence that the gospel is so powerful, nobody can stop it. And the gospel is so powerful that many, many people will accept it if only they listen and if only you and I care enough to bring it to them. For 37 messages, we've heard the stories of ordinary people wielding the power of an unstoppable gospel, and we've seen what happened. But Luke left their stories open because he intends for you to keep writing it. And you and I are obligated to move forward with the same faith they had, The faith that believes that it's not really our capabilities and our giftings that do much with the gospel anyway. It is the power of the gospel itself and all we need to do is unleash it and let it change so, so many lives. I want us to spend some time praying in response to the message tonight. There's a couple prayer requests on the screen.